been kind of bouncing around between Matthew and Luke over the last uh, few weeks. And this morning we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. Now, um, I love uh, I love kids. Uh, actually, next service we're going to be doing a baby dedication. Uh, so that's going to be really fun. I, I love those. Um, and this morning as I was kind of thinking about where we're going with things, how many, how many of you have ever found your kids in places they're not supposed to be? Right? It's like, how did you get in here? Right? What are you doing in here? Right? And, and sometimes kids, uh, they get into things, they get into spaces they're not supposed to be. There is a picture that uh, I have seen, um, and uh, it's uh, of JFK Jr. playing under his dad's desk, uh, under the Resolute desk, right? Doesn't look very Resolute right now. Looks like a playhouse, does it? But this is in, uh, this is in the Oval Office, and this is JFK Jr., playing underneath his dad's desk and it's like you know if someone were to walk in they were like hey you're not supposed to be under there you're not supposed to be in here but that's the nature of a child right they find their way into places maybe they're not supposed to be I know uh, my kids have done that um, I know that sometimes I found my place myself in places I wasn't supposed to be uh, when I was in college I had a buddy who worked for our university as a, as a janitor custodian at night and he had all the keys to all the buildings. And he told me, he said, hey, man, you want to go through the president's office? I said, sure. I've never been through the president's office. Usually if I went to somebody's office like that, I was in trouble. So, you know, uh, so he took me through the president's office uh, at night. And I was just kind of looking around. I wouldn't touch anything, but I did kind of look at his. That's back when anybody, we listened to CDs. Anybody remember CDs? I kind of looked at his CDs, kind of turned. You know, he's a big Brian Adams fan. I was like, that's kind of cool. You know, summer of 69, right? So uh, this, uh, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in places that we're not supposed to be. And that's kind of where we're going this morning. Because with the story of Jesus, um, it has something in common. Matthew chapter 1 has something in common with those stories that I just told you. It's because there's some people that probably really, uh, maybe some, some people thought that they should not have been in the story of Jesus. And so I want us to read that. I'm always amazed at when I, when I read this. This is the part that people skip, okay? Usually when people start with the Christmas story, they start in Matthew Chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. We're going to start in verse 1 all the way down through 17 because 18 starts with this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Usually that's where we start reading because we skip the other parts and we think, well, that's just a bunch of lists. Of, that's a list of names. What does that mean? You know, it's like reading the phone book. Anybody ever got you, you just wide awake at night and you just wanted to go to sleep, get the phone? Nobody has a phone book anymore, I know. You know, but we used to have these things, guys, called phone books, and it had people's names in it, and it had phone numbers in it. And you know what? If you wanted to get sleepy, you could just kind of go read through the phone book, and you would get sleepy. That's what Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 sometimes feels like. It can feel like reading a phone book, just a list of names. But they are there for a reason, a really important reason that they're there. And uh, this morning I want us to read uh, through some of this. And so uh, we go to Matthew, beginning Matthew chapter 1. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 17. And I'm going to kind of go through it, go at this backwards. Verse 17, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, it says, And so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon 14 generations and from the deportation 
uh, to Babylon to the Christ 14 generations. Do you see that? There's three sections. If you read this, these lists of names, there's three sections of 14. And if you do the math, that means there's six groups of seven, right? And seven being a very important number, uh, you know, in, in, in biblical just theology is seven is this, this idea of completion, this idea of being perfect. And so we see that there are six groups of seven that lead all, all the way up to uh, the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. And Matthew is very intentional when he's doing this. Matthew is very intentional about who he's including in this. And you say, well, there's some people who got left out of this story. And that's okay because there are some people who got included into this story that, like I said, probably shouldn't have been there. But Matthew is telling us something. He is saying, hey, listen, the genealogy of Jesus is super important because Jesus is connected to Abraham. Jesus is a son of Abraham. Jesus is a son of Jacob. Jesus is a son of David and ultimately Jesus is the son of God and so he is putting all these pieces together for us and basically a genealogy for people back in this day was kind of like a resume if you've ever had to have a resume you ever had to type one up right a resume says this is where I come from this is who I've studied under this is kind of my pedigree right um, this is what a genealogy does for people of this day it is somewhat of a resume that kind of gives their credibility and so that's why Matthew goes through and he begins to list certain people. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. And I probably will butcher some of these names, so don't crit criticize me too hard, or I'll get you to come up here and say those names. And Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. I need, you need to mark that. Tamar is a woman who has uh, a sordid story. Uh, her story is uh, one where she actually pretends that she is a prostitute so that she can sleep with her father-in-law. He said, that sounds like Jerry Springer type stuff. Yes, it does. And that's in, uh, in not just in the Bible, but this is in the family tree of Jesus. Come on, somebody say dysfunctional family trees, right? Um, and, and so this is, you know, the first woman that we see Matthew including in the family tree of Jesus. But he does this for a reason, uh, because Tamar, um, she is the daughter-in-law of Judah. And uh, Tamar's husband dies, but Judah will not release her to go marry someone else. And so what she does is she... Uh, acts like she's a prostitute, dresses up like a prostitute. Judah comes to her to um, basically sleep with her. And uh, she gets pregnant, right? And so this is how this lineage kind of rolls out. You say, well, that's a crazy story. That's only the first one. Let's keep going. The father of Perez by Zerah by Tamar of Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abimelech. Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Rahab is an actual prostitute, okay? Uh, she's not just pretending to be one. She's an actual prostitute. And not only was she a prostitute, uh, she was a Canaanite at that. She was not even uh, an Israeli. And so she is a prostitute who is a Canaanite. She is living in this city of Jericho. 
And she is the one who meets the spies that come into Jericho, and she helps them. And it's by her faith, believing that uh, she is going to not only trust these spies, but she's going to trust these spies uh, that believe in Yahweh. And so Rahab is part of this story. Uh, Rahab of and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Ruth is another uh, woman who gets included in this. And she's not an Israeli either. She is uh, a Moabitess. And uh, the Moabites, they were a polytheistic people. Uh, they were just basically pagans. They offered human sacrifices to their god, Shamash. And so uh, she came from the Moabite people. Um, and her story was one where she married into this, uh, this family, uh, basically. Uh, she, she was connected to this lady called Naomi. And uh, Naomi brings her back home, brings her to Israel. And she becomes part of the story of Israel, and she becomes part of the story of Jesus. She was really one who was destitute. She had no money. She had no status. She had no people. And so now in the story of Jesus, we have three women so far, two, uh, one who pretended to be a prostitute, one who was an actual prostitute, and this third lady, she's just poor. She is, uh, comes from a people that uh, really have no status in Israel, and she is a pauper. Uh, and so we have Tamar, Rahab, and it says, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. They don't even say her name. He doesn't even say her name, right? What's her name? We know her name. Her name is Bathsheba. But he says this. I think what he does is he just makes the point it was not supposed to be David's wife. This was the wife of someone else. But it was an illicit affair that was, uh, that was um, pursued by David, right? Uh, actually, Bathsheba said, we can't do this. But David being the king and being a very powerful man, how could she say no to the king? And so this sort of affair happened, and you know what? She got pregnant. And there, in this story, it's, and you can go read the story yourself, but in this story, Solomon was, was part of, of this lineage. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. And that's such a... A crazy story when you start looking at it. Not only was it a story of adultery, a story of lies, it was also a story of murder. David had her husband murdered. And so it just gets worse and worse and worse. It's almost like a Netflix special at this point, right? You would think, what's going on here? And so these stories are crazy because now you've had Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, who was Bathsheba, we're going to skip down just a little bit. We're going to get down here to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Mary was a teenage girl who ends up getting pregnant. And Joseph is like, this is not my child. <laughs> What do I do with this? And we talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about this uh, just being a very awkward time. And you can imagine just the emotions that were going through not only Joseph's mind, but the emotions that were on Mary's heart. How do I explain this? How do I tell them that an angel came to me and says, this is from God? Oh, that's a, that's a story everybody's going to believe, right? 
Um, and, and so what do you do with that? And so every one of these ladies that gets included, it's not an accident. Someone would say they shouldn't be there, but they should be there because Matthew sees the importance. Matthew understands that what the story that God is telling is this. The story that God is telling is this, is that the branches of Jesus' family tree are twisted. The branches of our family tree are twisted. If you start thinking about it, our family trees, they can look different ways. Our family trees, sometimes, you know what, things happen in our families that we just didn't really think should happen. And maybe things happen in our families and people end up in our families like, I don't know how you ended up in my family. I don't know how I ended up in this family, right? And we start looking at our family trees and our family trees and the story of our family trees can seem twisted. And maybe people have told you that you're not worth anything because that's the story that they told these ladies, that you're not worth anything. You're really not worth being included in this story. But God had another plan. God had another plan for people who, people, uh, who have been told you're not worth anything. See, that is a sad lie that some of us have believed that we're not worth anything. I think that's one reason why these ladies were in this story is because God is telling a different story. You've been, maybe been told the story, you're not worth anything, you're not wanted, there's nothing good about you, the way that you came in is not good, may, and you know what, I, I don't like what's, what's going on, and so I just don't like you, I don't like you being part of my family. And maybe that's the twisted part of the story, the twisted part of the family tree. But see, the great thing about this is what God does with twisted family trees. This genealogy is a story of, of generation, where in the beginning, where we see in the very beginning that God begins to create. And, and then we jump just about 12 chapters uh, in Genesis, from Genesis 1 to Genesis chapter 12, and we're introduced to a man named Abraham. And God steps into his life and calls him out of the twisted family that he's in. He's, he's, he's not one who is coming from a family who has just been worshiping Yahweh. He's coming from a family who's been living way far off. And God starts with him. God chooses Abraham and says, I want you to be a blessing and not only just be blessed. I bless you, but you're also going to be a blessing. And so what does God do? God begins with this story and begins a story of generation. He begins to generate something special. He begins to generate a promise. He begins to generate the, the idea that life on this planet can look different. He begins to generate the idea, hey, that there is a different way to live. You don't have to worship all these other gods. You can worship the one true God, and your life can be lived in such a way where there is fullness. And what Jesus, how Jesus described it is, it is life overflowing with godly abundance. And, and so God begins to generate in the story of Abraham. But what we see is this, as, as the story progresses, there is a degeneration. And so not only is this a story of generation, this is a story of degeneration. And it seems like, you know, you hit all these places in the story, just like with um, David and Bathsheba, the illicit sex, the, um, the adultery, the lies, right, the, the murder all these things, it just seems like it spirals out of control. It was a story of generation, and now it's a story of degeneration. And maybe you say, well, that's kind of where my family's at right now. My family feels like it's a story of degeneration. But that's not where he stopped the story, and that's not where we stopped the lineage. 
the story goes on and God continues to weave this thread. He begins, he continues to, to weave this story together of, of what he can do. And so it becomes a story of generation, degeneration to regeneration. That God is regenerating his plan. That God is restoring his plan. See, God formed us, but sin deformed us. See, God made us, but sin marred us. God generated us, but sin degenerated us. And so when we come to this story of Jesus, we come to a story of humanity was lost because of a tree, right? We go all the way back to Genesis. We go all the way back to Genesis 2. And what was Adam and Eve? They were, they were told, don't touch this tree. There's all these other trees in the garden. You have all these other trees. Don't touch this tree. And what's the one that they focus on? The very one that they're told not to touch. The very one they're told not to eat from. They're, this is the one. Hey, don't leave that tree alone. That tree's not for you. And what do children do? They go and do the exact thing that the parents tell them not to do. Don't get into this. Don't get into these cookies. Don't get into this cake. That cake is for later when granny comes home or when granny comes to, to, to spend Christmas with us. And what happens? There's like fingerprints in the cake, right? There's like chunks out of the cake. Well, that's, at least that's what happened at my family, okay? And I was the one doing that, doing the very thing mom and dad told me not to do, ending up in the places that mom and dad told me not to go to, right? Getting into the things that mom and dad told me not to do. And see, this is where our story is at. This is a story where you have Adam and Eve who are the generation of God. He breathes life into them and calls them forth. And see, humanity was lost because of that tree in the garden. But see, God would restore and make us alive because of a different tree. It was because of the tree that when Jesus was born, Jesus was a, a child born to deliver us. You say Jesus was a child born to die. I like to say it like this. Jesus was a child born to die and, and be resurrected. Jesus was a child that was born uh, for victory. He was a child that was not born to be a victim. He was a child born for victory and born for our victory. That when he went to the cross, he took every sin, every twisted part of our story, every twisted part of our family story, he took that to the cross. Because that's who Jesus is. And when we look at Adam and Eve and we say that everything got messed up, it seemed in that garden. It seemed that everything just began to degenerate from what God wanted to start. We can see that Jesus steps into all this mess, steps into our Christmas, right? And that's what Christmas seems like sometimes. It's a mess. I walked into the office today. We've had like 47 different parties this week. And I walked into the office this morning, and there's like stuff everywhere. And even Taylor comes in. I think she had her Christmas party over there yesterday. She's like, I'm so sorry. The office is a mess. I'm like, this, this office is a mess. This is Christmas, right? And, and that's really it, though. That really is it. Jesus steps in our mess. And, and, and I think that is a, a way to look at it, that Christ's mess, he steps into the mess. He steps into our brokenness. He steps into our lostness. He steps into where we're twisted. He steps into our sordid stories. He steps into our sin and takes that upon himself so that he can take our loss and give us victory. So that he can give us something so much better. Where, he trade, where we trade up, right? And when you begin to think about what we get and what we give, 
we give something much worse than what we get back. What we give is our sin and our ugliness. What Jesus gives us is his beauty and his life. This is what Christmas looks like. See, God's greatest gift didn't go under a tree. It went on a tree. God's greatest gift wasn't under a tree. And we're talking about the gift of Christmas, right? But God's greatest gift was the one that went on a tree 2,000 years ago. God's greatest gift was, the, was his son Jesus who took every sin for us and took our twistedness and our twisted stories and he put it on that tree. And he said, you can be redeemed. Your story can be restored. Your family can be renewed. You can live this different life. You can live in a different way. It doesn't matter what your past says. It doesn't matter what people have said in your past. It doesn't matter what people have pointed in your face and, and told you you would never become. They're, they're not your creator. They're not, they're not the God who is authoring your story, okay? But that they, they are only if you let them, right? They're only the author of your story if you let them. See, I would rather let Jesus write my story. I would rather give Jesus the pen and the book and say, here's my messed up story. Why don't you write the ending for me? Because what he does is he begins to write a story of regeneration. He begins to write a story of renewal. So whatever that family tree looks like for you, whatever that twistedness looks like for you, Jesus went to a tree for us to be regenerated. For us to have newness, for us to have hope. And see, that's what I think this is about. See, the hope of Jesus is bigger than the pain of our broken families. The hope of Jesus is bigger than that. So when you're thinking about your story, maybe this morning you're thinking about what that's going to look like for Christmas. Maybe, maybe there's pain there because there's distance between you and someone. Maybe it's your, your son, your daughter. Maybe it's a mother or, or a father. Maybe, maybe there's um, strife between brothers and sisters. Maybe there's twistedness in the story and twistedness in the tree. But I've already seen what God does with twisted stories. He can make beauty come out of them. And see, that's what I want you to do today. I want you to believe that God can make beauty come out of the twistedness. You say, I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know exactly how that works either. I think that's the miracle of Jesus, how he steps into our stories and he begins to take stuff that we don't think can be redeemed. And he takes people who shouldn't be in the story in the first place and he says, I'm going to do something with them that is amazing. I'm going to take a mess and I'm going to make a miracle. I'm going to take what has been, you know, just testing you and I'm going to make a testimony. So this morning... I'm going to ask the band to come, and I want you to stand with me today. And I want you to think about your story. I want you to think about the ladies who are in this story. Just how things are crazy when you look at it. How every one of them had something that just didn't look right. Whether it was something that they did or someplace that they came from or something that happened to them. All of them God looked at and said, you're important. And you're important in the story of my son. And you're important in the story of the redemption of this entire world. And so if God can do that with them, what can God do with, do with your story? What can God do with your family? What can God do with the things that you say, this is it. It doesn't look like much. Remember the fish and the loaves. It doesn't look like much. 
But I do believe this, an old gospel song, the lady sings it, it says, little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. God, I don't know what you can do with this. It's all right. I know what I can do with it. What do you need to give to him this morning? That first week that I didn't get to preach my message with Pastor Trent did an amazing job. The gift that we bring, the gift is us. The gift is our worship. The gift is our surrender. The gift is us. What do you give a king that's got everything, right? Raina's granddad, we've... Uh, we buy him gifts, and but he's he's almost 90 years old, right? So what do you get him? He's got everything. You go to his house, he's got tractors, he's got all this stuff, he's got all these cool toys, right? What do you get him? What we got him was a thing called Ancestry.com, right? Because he's interested in his family tree. He's interested in where he's come from. And he's interested in that just not for him. He's interested in that about me. So when I'm married into this family... He put his arms around me and brought me in, and he's interested in my story, too. He's interested in how my story weaves together with his story, and then how my sons are, are coming out of that, and this is a great story that is being written. See, God is interested in the story that's being written for your family. So this morning, with heads, being, heads bowed today, <clears throat> what is that that's been messed up? What is that that sometimes it's ugly to look at? Maybe you don't like to talk about it. What are those things that, that you just say, you just shake your head and it's frustrating? Maybe it makes you angry. What are those things? This morning, this is what I want you to do. I just want you to release that to Jesus today. Man, because he's here and he loves you and he wants to meet you in the twistedness of that story. That's why his story is twisted, so he can meet you in your twisted story. And he can let you know that there's renewal, that there is hope, that there is hope in the pain. So what is that that you need to release to him today? I don't know. I don't know your story, but you know it. And you know what you need to release to him. And so, Lord, this morning we just come to you. And we love you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, God, that you have a great big plan for us, and sometimes we don't always see it. And it's really hard for us sometimes because it's just our story is a mess in a lot of ways. There are a lot of things that have happened, a lot of things that we've done that we can't go back and fix. A lot of things that we regret, a lot of things that we wish we could undo and we can't. But, Lord, you meet us right here, right now, with the messiness of the story. You meet us right here, right now with the twistedness of our tree, our family tree. And so right now, we put our family in your hands. God, we release and surrender to you these things that are frustrating to us. We release to you this morning these things that are painful to us. Right now, God, we put into your hands to do a work where we have demolished and destroyed and degenerated but you are the God that creates and recreates. So recreate in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in us. Restore to us the joy of salvation. Lord, these are things that we pray, and we know they're good that you want to give us today. This is our prayer. This is what we give today. This is what we receive today in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we sing this morning? Can we sing this morning?